Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Life First. Today, our big idea is pick your time, place, and plan. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number two of Life Verse, and I'm excited that you're here, and we get to talk about these verses that we want to claim for a new year. And here's what we did last week. We asked and answered some questions about the Bible, just to give us some context and some history about this incredible book, and then the challenge was given for everybody to think about a verse or two that you will claim as your own that will help carry you through this new year. And I hope that you've started that search. If you haven't, then today is the day that you can begin. And we'll talk about that process in just a little bit. So here's our big idea for today. And that is pick your time, place, and plan. Your time, place, and plan. And we're going to unpack that today because there is some great value and significance in everybody picking their time and their place and their plan. And this is what's going to help engage us in really spending some quality time in God's Word. So here's what we asked last week. I want to review a bit of this. We started by saying, what is the Bible? And if you had to answer that in 10 to 20 seconds what would you say? Well, here's the answer. The Bible is a collection of books. It's actually a collection of 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. And that's what the Bible is. It's a collection of books. And then we ask this, what's a testament? Because that's not a word we use that much. So What does that mean? If there is an Old Testament and a New Testament, what is that? Well, the word testament means covenant, which is an agreement. And so God made agreements with his people. In the Old Testament, we have a bunch of agreements, a bunch of covenants that God made with different people. And then God began to do do a new thing through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that's called the New Testament or a new covenant. And so the word testament means covenant, and that's just how God worked with and through his people. And then we ask this, who wrote the Bible? And ultimately the answer is that God did, but we talked a little bit about how the Bible was written over 1,400 years by 40 different authors on three different continents. Last week I actually said five, it's not five, it's three. So 1,400 years, 40 different authors, three continents using three different languages. But yet God was over this whole thing because remarkably these different authors didn't have the opportunity to get in the room and say, hey, let's put our story together to make sure it all matches over 1,400 years. They didn't have the ability to do that. Yet, remarkably, this book, written over that period of time by 40 different people, tells one themeless story, and that is the story of God's love for people. Just a remarkable book. So, written by different people over a lot of different years, but ultimately God was over the whole deal, and he breathed it out. And then we ask this, who put the Bible together in its current format? 
So if it was written over that period of time, different authors, different places. Who put these 39 different books together in the Old Testament and the 27 books in the New Testament? Who ultimately decided that? Well, again, God did. And I think God is big enough to make sure that what we hold in our hands today is exactly what God wants us to have. And we can have confidence that this is the word of God and we've got it all. But God worked through people and he worked through groups in order to package the Bible the way it is today so that what we have truly is the word of God. So those are the four questions that we talked about last week. I want to add two more questions to that. So here's number five. The Bible is fascinating, is it not? Which I know that's kind of a statement with three words attached to the end, which make it a question, but give me a little bit of rope here because I want you to think about this. The answer is yes. It is a fascinating book. Consider this. Poetry, prophecy, biography, war, sex, betrayal. The Bible has all of the ingredients. I mean, all of the ingredients of great literature. And I think you may discover that whether you're a skeptic or a believer, these ancient documents have something relevant to say today that is very compelling. So the Bible is fascinating, is it not? The answer is yes. I think it's an incredibly fascinating book. And I said this a few times last week. I think we owe it to ourselves to pick it up and read this incredible, amazing, miraculous piece of literature. One more question I want to answer, and that is, should I read the Bible from cover to cover? And I get asked that occasionally. And the answer is, you can, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. And there are a couple of good reasons why I wouldn't recommend you just pick up a Bible and start with page one and read to the back cover. So to help explain that, you actually have a flyer in your program that looks like this. So I want everybody to take that out right now. All right? Take that out. I want you to look at this as we kind of walk our way through explaining why you might not want to read from cover to cover. Again, you can but it might not be a great idea. So I want you to look at the side that lists all of the different books. So on the left-hand side, it says Old Testament, and it has those books listed. And then on the right-hand column, it has the New Testament and those books listed. Do you have that in front of you? All right, what you notice on the Old Testament side is that there are books under the law, and there are books of history, books of poetry, and then books that are prophetical in nature. Now, if you were to pick up a Bible, you would find it in this order. And if you started to read with page one, you would start way up under the law. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. And then the second book of the Bible is Exodus and so on. And so if you started to read that way, you would discover that there's not a chronological story as you begin reading from page one meaning that these books aren't put necessarily in the order of how things happened. So if you started with Genesis, you would pick up with an amazing story. 
story of Adam and Eve and God working with several different people throughout that book. And then you would get into the book of Exodus and you would hear and read the story of how God freed his people from slavery. And it's an amazing story and it's energizing and intense. And then you would get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy And what you would discover are a lot of strange customs and some weird laws. And you would probably say, hey, what happened to the story? Because the story kind of disappears. And it's about that time that we would get discouraged and say, this just doesn't make sense at all. I don't really like this. I'm not learning anything from this. It's kind of bizarre. And you would stop reading scripture because it's not put together in chronological order. Now, to make this really simple, I want you to turn the page over, because what you'll find on the other side is the chronological order of the Old Testament. So, do you see Genesis on the far left, in the middle there? And then there's Exodus, and what's next? Oh, you can actually answer, all right, there's Genesis, Exodus, and what's next? So we've jumped out of order here a little bit. And what you'll discover as you look at that middle column there is that represents the chronological story of ancient Israel. And so if you went from left to right, if you started with Genesis and just read those books and kind of skipped around a little bit, you would have one thematic story, the story of ancient Israel. Now, here's what makes the Bible so incredible. And why I continually say we owe it to ourselves to pick up this amazing book. So, this is crazy. It's nuts, actually. And I know you're going to be really excited about this because this is what makes the Bible so incredible. And I know if I were to come to your house that you're going to have this chronological order up on your refrigerator along with all of the other talk notes from the different sermons that I've given. And we could talk about all of that because this is that amazing. So, here's the deal. Do you see the different books listed above and below that middle column? Right? There's stuff up top and there's stuff below. Now, here's the deal with those different books. They are authors and individuals who provided commentary on what was happening with the main story. And so you can read chronologically about the ancient history of Israel, and then you can pick out these different books and discover that they share thoughts and the different emotions that these individuals were walking through, and they provide different commentary on what's happening with the main story. No other piece of literature does this at all. And this is what makes the Bible so amazing. You get the chronological story, but you also get all of this intense commentary on how people were thinking and how they were feeling and the different emotions that were going on as they walked through this story. Again, no other piece of literature is that intense. Let me illustrate it to you this way. One of the things that Tanya, my wife, does every year is she puts together a photo book of our family. And she jumps online with one of the 3,000 companies that offer all of these deals. And she takes all the pictures from the year, and she packages that towards Christmas time. And then she puts together this photo book. And then we send that to her dad, who lives in Seattle, and her mom, who lives in Toledo, and then my parents, who live in Chicago. 
And inevitably, when the books arrive, we start getting phone calls. And they're crying as they look at us and the grandkids. And like, you weren't supposed to cry. It was supposed to make you happy. And, you know, you get how this works. So what happens with this book is if you were to open it up, and if you want to come up and look at it, feel free. No secrets here. But it starts with the birthday of Cambry, our youngest daughter. She turned three last year. In the chronology of our year, this is kind of the first big event of the year. It happens in February, so in a few weeks she will turn four, and this is probably how we'll start the book next year. And so there's all these pictures, and as you flip through, you'll discover that there are other birthdays and vacations and prom and graduations and Halloween and Christmas. It is just a lot of fun, and we get one of these books for ourselves, and our kids look at this all of the time. Now, it's great because the pictures are in chronological order. But what's even better is that Tanya puts in some commentary along the way. So not only do we have the picture of what happened, but our parents, our kids' grandparents, can pick up on the emotion and the feeling since they're not here for most of these events. Let me share one picture with you. This is a picture of our family. It's, it's my favorite picture. You can see it on the screen. And I was taking a family picture of our six kids, and my dad happened to be up on our little balcony area, and he said something that made all of them laugh. Uh, and so I was able to capture them laughing, and this is one of my favorite pictures of the year. Now, here's the commentary on that. So it's one thing to look at the picture and say, oh, The kids are laughing at whatever. Well, here's the commentary. It says this. Grandfathers are great. In the picture on the opposite page, Grandpa Kohler is making the kids laugh. This is one of the best pictures of the year. And so as we send this out and as we review this in years to come, not only do we have the chronological order of 2014, but we have commentary along the way so that we will never forget Now, that's kind of how the Bible is put together. There is a chronological order to it of events that happened. It is a historical book. But then there are many authors who provide commentary along the way so that we can pick up on how different people were feeling. For instance, in that middle column, I want you to find 2 Samuel. Do you see that book there? Again, this is a book of history, ancient Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you were to read that, you would find the story of David and Bathsheba. It's a sad story about a king who chose to have an affair with someone else. Her name's Bathsheba. And you can read that historical account right in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was a sad day for David and Bathsheba and a sad day for God's people. As the king, the primary leader, disobeyed God. Now, if you look below that, there's the book of Psalms that's put there. In Psalm 51, you find this incredible, heartfelt prayer of confession from David over his sin with Bathsheba. And you get all of this rich emotion and how sorry he was and how he knew he had failed God and failed his family and failed the nation. So you can read about the historical event in 2 Samuel chapter 11, but in the book of Psalm 51, that chapter there, you get David actually commenting on how he was feeling at the time. 
Incredible. Go one column over to the right. First Kings shares the story of a guy named Solomon. Solomon was actually King David's son, and he's known as one of the wisest persons who has ever lived. If you look below that, you see Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are three books that were written by Solomon himself, and it shares his emotions and what he was thinking while this was happening. The book of Song of Solomon is interesting because it's actually a book all about sex. And it was so steamy that ancient rabbis wouldn't even let young Jewish boys read it. It was that intense. So you might want to start there. I'm just saying. Just saying. Now, if you want to know what's happening during Ezra and Nehemiah, if you go all the way to the right, these are, again, this is the chronological order right here. And so we're getting to the end of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. If you want to know the thoughts and the feelings of the people at that point, go above that and you see Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the great Italian prophet. And you know that Malachi said... Hey, use guys. You want to write a book of the Bible or something? Yeah, so they put together some thoughts and some feelings about what was happening during Ezra and Nehemiah, and Malachi and his friends did that. And that's kind of how the whole Old Testament is put together. Again, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating, and unlike any other piece of literature. Now, turn the page back over and go to the right-hand column, which is the New Testament. You see the Gospels listed there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This shares the story of Jesus and what he did. And then you have a history book. It's the book of Acts. And then after that, these letters are like commentary on that particular history. And then the Bible ends with prophecy, or it points to a future that is coming. Now, I share all of that with you to say, can you read the Bible from cover to cover? Yeah, you can, but it might be a little bit better to read it in chronological order and then begin to pick and choose some of these other books that comment on what is happening during that time. Again, the Bible is unlike any other book in history. It is remarkable because we get history, we get that chronological order, but we also get all of these different authors that comment on how people were feeling and acting during that time. Now, do you remember what I said last week? It was one of the takeaways. I said marvel. Marvel at the Bible. Because it is a miraculous book. It really is. And we owe it to ourselves to pick it up and read. And then I also said this. Let's read. Let's do that. Like, this is a good thing. So marvel and read. Marvel and read. Marvel and read. Will you say that with me? Marvel and read. Marvel and read. Now, I hope that you are finding it a little bit easier to marvel at the miraculous nature of the Bible and how incredible it is as we share these different thoughts and these different stats and how it was packaged and how God was really over the whole process, breathing it out and making sure that what we hold in our hands is exactly what God wants us to have. I hope you're marveling at that, and that's becoming easier for you. This is more than just another book with words. It's the Word of God, and it's miraculous. So hopefully you're marveling a bit. The reading part is much more challenging, isn't it? So let me talk about that for a few moments. And what I want to do is I want to share 
kind of some thoughts that I shared last year during Life Verse. So this is not new information for us, but I will say it becomes very easy to just stop and not do any of this and to put God's word down and to kind of ignore it. And all of a sudden, what we may have been doing for a week or two, we quickly go month after month and we're not really paying attention to it until we come here on a particular Sunday. So how can we avoid that? How can we not only marvel at the miraculous nature of God's word and how it's packaged and how God did all of this for us, how can we also make sure that we're reading and it's a regular part of our lives? All right, no magic dust here. There's no simple way to do this. It takes a lot of hard work, but here's what I would recommend. And that is you have to find, you have to pick a time, a place, and a plan. A time, a place, and a plan. And if you don't pick that, you're not going to do it. Uh, It's just not going to happen. You might have great intentions, but great intentions normally lead to a bridge to nowhere. So time, place, and plan. If you don't have that, you're not going to spend time in God's Word. You might perk a little bit, but it's just not going to happen. So let me talk to you a little bit about time, place, and plan. Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter what your time is, what your place is, or what your plan is. It just doesn't matter. Everybody can do something different. And I hope you find something on your own that engages you. That's wonderful. Everybody's time, place, and plan can be different because we're different people. But we have to have a time, a place, and a plan. So let me share with you how this kind of works for me. And I'll be the first to say I'm not perfect at this. All right? I know I need to spend more time in God's Word than what I do. But I've kind of fallen into a pattern, and this pattern has worked for me. So my time is early morning. That just is a good time for me. I drop a couple of kids off at school, and then I have some time where I can just look into God's Word. So I drop the kids off, and then my place is my office. And I'm normally the first one in there, and there are no distractions. It's very quiet, and it's there that I can give some dedicated time to reading Scripture. My plan is that I have a journal. And when I open this journal up to a particular day, it will say, here's the verses, here's the paragraphs that you should read today. And so I'll read those verses, and throughout the year, it kind of carries me through different books of the Bible. And it's random, and I really like that, and I'll read whatever the paragraph is, and then I'll write some things down in my journal, I'll circle words, I'll look up definitions, I'll ask some questions, and often, my time and my place and my plan become the starting point for what I share with you. I often go back, and it provides the foundation for my talks. And so it's valuable time for me. It's a valuable place, and it's a valuable plan. Now, I've had people come to me and say, my time is at night, because I'm just awake at that point. And if I do it in the morning, I will fall asleep, and that's not a good thing. And sometimes when you read scripture, you tend to doze off. It happens to me too. Not in the office, though. (laughs) So whatever your time, it doesn't matter. But you got to have a time, and you got to have a special place. And I've had some people come to me and say, you know what? My time and place are lunch in my car. And I take my break, and I go out to the car, and there I read my plan, and that's just when I do it. And I think that's great. Whatever your time and place and plan are, that's up to you. You just have to have it. And if you bypass any of them, It's just not going to happen. You won't do it. So put together your time and your place and your plan. And I think you'll have great success with really going a little bit deeper into God's word. 
Again, wherever we were last year, we want to get a little bit better at this, okay? Time, place, and plan. It'll help. Think about that. Now, I want to share with you, with our time that's left, my life verses for 2015. And I share this with you just so you can get a little bit of my heartbeat and also understand how you can pick a verse or two or more that are meaningful and memorable to you. So let me share with you my life verses for 2015. I'm really excited about these. It's from Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here's what it says. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everybody. I was at a conference recently and one of the presenters there, his name is Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta. And that's actually where we found the tool for that chronological order, which is very helpful. But as he was teaching on this particular day, he asked two questions. Two questions that I've been thinking about for quite some time that helped shape my life verse for this year. Question number one is, who are you? And he just asked that. And he wanted everybody to think about that. Who are you as an individual? And then the second question he asked is, what breaks your heart? So who are you? What breaks your heart? So who are you? Well, my name is Eric, and I'm a husband to Tanya, and a father of six, and I happen to be the pastor of Valley Point Church. That's who I am. That's kind of easy to answer. The second question, though, can be a bit more challenging. What breaks your heart? And I began to think about a response to that, and it sounded something like this in my own mind. I told you last week I ask questions and often answer them all on my own, and I know that's disturbing for some people, but I find that to be very therapeutic at times, and I would recommend it. So I asked myself, what breaks my heart? What does that for you, Eric? And I want you to know that I love the church. I just absolutely love the organization, love the concept, love everything about the church, specifically Valley Point Church, but the church at large. And I've given my entire life to helping the church be at its best because I believe when it is, there is nothing like the church when the church is working right. Nothing like it. A lot of other good organizations and they do wonderful work, but I believe the church can supersede all of them when it is working right because it is a thing of hope and beauty and extreme significance. I think what breaks my heart is when people don't feel the same way about the church that I feel and when they don't want it or they place other things that honestly are not as important in front of the church and when they have been hurt or burned by the church and I get that and I understand that but when people allow that to drive everything about them that stuff just kind of breaks my heart 
And my desire, my goal, I, I want everybody to wake up on a Sunday morning saying, I can't wait to go to church because that's just how I feel. And I love this place and I love the church and I want everybody to love it the same way. I think I actually got my love for the church from my father. My father liked his work. He enjoyed sports and he had other hobbies, but he sacrificed for the church. So much so that when he retired from his normal work, he started to work for a church. And he's been doing that for the past 18 years. But here's the deal about my dad. My dad knew that the church wasn't just a place that you go. The church is who you are everywhere that you go. It's not necessarily a place. It's not just a destination. The church is us going everywhere. And so we have this amazing opportunity to actually make the church look good and attractive for people who may not be cracked up about it. And so with that background, I began to think about my life verse for this year. And I asked the question, who am I? And I'm a father and a husband and a pastor. And what breaks my heart? It's when people don't care about the church. And so I feel I can do something about that. And so I chose these verses that say, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, let your speech be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Do you see that word gracious there? Will you nod your head a little bit? You see that word? It actually comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace or kindness. So we could say it this way. Let your conversation be filled with kindness. Let your conversation be filled with grace. Is anybody tired about all the people and their conversation that is filled with negativity and whining and complaining and crap? You ever get tired of that? Well, thank you. What if one person's tired of that? Yeah, I think we all are. Well, what if we as followers of Christ said, you know, we can do something about that and we can help the church look really, really good for other people when our conversation with others is filled with grace. It's filled with kindness. You see that word attractive in the verse? It comes from the root word where we get the word salt, which is a fascinating concept. If you're a believer, have you ever heard the verse in Matthew that talks about how we are the salt of the earth? And if you've responded to Jesus, if you've trusted in him alone, then that's who you are. You are salt, and that word actually means be attractive. And sometimes I've wondered, how unattractive am I to people outside the church with attitudes or thoughts or whatever? See, I have this amazing opportunity to help the church look really good for those who are on the outside with kindness and with attractiveness with what I say and with what I do. So for me, grace and salt. Well, these are my two words for 2015. Grace and salt. Kind of weird words, but yet it's biblical and it's what I find here. And it helps answer the question, what breaks my heart? Those who don't care about the church. Those who get up and choose to do other things. But I desperately want them to be here to enjoy this thing of beauty and significance. And I could actually do something about that. Grace and salt. 
grace and salt. So I share that with you because these words are memorable and meaningful to me. And as you think about your life verse or verses, you've got to find something that hits you and invokes some type of emotion in you. And you can remember it. And whether you have it word for word or just the general concept, that's fine. But you can remember it, and it really has meaning for you personally. That's what you want to search for. Let me share two takeaways. Number one, pick your time, place, and plan. And if you have that, great. If you don't, pick it, because if you don't, it will not happen. So time, what's the sacred place? That you look at that chair or that office or that car or whatever it is and you say, that's kind of my sacred space right there. That's where I'm going to get alone with God. And what's your plan? Again, a lot of different plans that you can come up with. In your program, we started this last week. There's a five-day reading plan listed right there for you. If you don't know what to read or this is new to you, I would encourage you come on Sunday, get the program, find those five days right there, look that up. And just get out a sheet of paper or whatever you want to use and write down things that are interesting to you, that strike you as funny, as memorable, as weird, whatever. Ask questions. Just go for it. You can use that five-day reading plan. We've also talked about uversion.com. You can jump online and download an app. And you can pick a five-day plan, a seven-day plan, a two-month plan, a six-month plan, a year plan. You can do all kinds of different things. And that will come directly to you. If that's helpful, then go to uversion.com. I would also recommend, if you're not sure what to do, or you're even a skeptic, you're not sure about the Bible, not sure about God and Jesus and all of that, then go to the book of Proverbs. It is a book that is full of wisdom and things that I think everyone can appreciate, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey or how they feel about God. And uniquely, there's 31 days. So you just pick whatever number day it is, Read that chapter, and I think you'll find something there for you. So you got to pick your plan. It's going to be different for everybody. I don't want to box people in and say, you got to do it this way. Do whatever you want, but just pick some type of plan. So time, place, and plan, it's incredibly valuable. And then secondly, pick a verse. All right, this is the week. Been having some conversations with some of you, and you've already done that, and I think that's awesome. If you haven't thought about a verse or verses yet that are meaningful and memorable to you, I would encourage you to do that. Feel free to use those two questions if it helps shape that. Who are you? And what breaks your heart? And if you get that rolling around in your mind and then jump into Scripture, you'll be amazed at what God does to provide some answers for that. And if He doesn't, just keep reading. Don't give up so easily. Often we do that. Stuff just gets hard and we stop. Well, don't give up so easily. Fight for it. Wrestle with the text. And I think you'll find God rewarding you in ways that you have never seen before. So, pick time, place, and plan. Make that happen. And then this week, pick a verse. And I think all of this is going to go an incredibly long way in giving us something that will just anchor our souls for another year through all of the good and the bad, the ugly, and everything in between, something that we'll be able to go back to constantly and say, 
All right, here's what I said. I was going to claim, and I'm going to read it again, and I'm having a great day, and I'm going to read this and remind myself, or I'm having a bad day. I'm going to remind myself of this verse, and it will carry us through. I think you'll be surprised at what God can do through his miraculous book. Father, we are so thankful for some time today just to think about the miracle of Scripture. God, we often talk about how what's inside is miraculous, but I also think the Bible itself and how it's packaged and how it came to be is also a miracle. And so, God, as we consider this week and think about time, place, and plan, and as we pick a verse that we want to claim as our own, God, I just pray that you would use this whole process to help each and every person in this room and next hour when we walk through this, that we would all just get a little more serious about more time in your word. God, even if it's a little bit more than last year, that's a great win. And we want everybody to make that kind of choice and to take that kind of step. So God, wherever we are today, whether we're brand new to this and have never really read the Bible at all, or whether there are individuals in the room who have spent a lot of time in Scripture, maybe even read it cover to cover. God, would you give us a thirst like never before, like we've just never had before, to dig and search and to pick that time and place and plan and to pick that verse or verses that will just help carry us through everything that we experience in 2015. God, I think what's going to happen is that you're going to give us all deeper roots in you. Our faith will be strengthened. And when the storms come, and even when the good times come, when the sun shines, God, we're going to be able to look at you in either situation and say, you are good all of the time. God, help us all to get there. Help us all to think about this throughout the week so that we can come back next week ready to just commit to the verse or verses that you have given to us. God, thank you for today. And I want to thank you specifically for the verse that you've given to me that are going to be a reminder to me about how to act around those who really don't care about the church or are disillusioned or have been burned in some way and they don't care about it like the way so many of us do. God, help me to be grace and salt. And I pray that for everybody here as well. So God, give us a great week as we dig and search. Bring us back, ready to commit. And we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the deal. Next week, we're going to come back, and I've got some things that I want to share. As a matter of fact, one of the things I want to share next week is I want to explode some of the excuses that people give for not reading Scripture. Because in 22 years of pastoral work, I've heard them all. And quite honestly, they're all lame. Yeah, they are. They are. So I, we're going to have fun with that. And I'm going to poke fun at myself as well. So uh, come back next week and we're going to talk about some of those excuses and why we really can push past them. And then what's going to happen is we're just going to have a great, quiet moment in our gathering. And again, if you've, you've been a part of this in the past, and you, you know what this looks like and how special it is. If you haven't, then this will be new for you, but we had somebody paint really what resembles the front cover of the program. It's a tree with roots, and 
We've got several of these paintings that were done specifically for Valley Point. And we're going to have people step out of their seats next week and write their verse on this painting and the other paintings that will be provided. And then we're going to frame these, and it's going to become another part of our tradition. You see the frames on either side of the stage, and the frame and the artwork out in the lobby as well that says Real Home with the different names and verses. This is going to be our chance in 2015 to say, we're going to dig deeper roots into God's Word, and here's my verse. And this is going to be a memorial for us, something we're going to be able to go back to and look at and say, 2015, that was my verse. And it helped me. And when we do this again next year, we're going to be energized and excited about whatever that looks like as well. So be sure that you're here next week as we sign these and just commit to our different verses. Sound okay? Love you. So grateful that you're here today. And I want to invite you to stand with me. Will you do that? And let's just use the rest of our time here to respond to the greatness of our God. Let's do that. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.